everybody. Welcome back to the Latin Poetry Podcast. My name is Chris Francesi, and today we're looking at Seneca's Hercules Furens, uh, Hercules Gone Mad, the amazing uh, tragedy that Seneca wrote in the first century AD. And it tells the story of Hercules's return from the underworld with Cerberus, the hellhound. This is the last of his famous 12 labors, and he has to go down and uh, wrangle the three-headed hound, bring him back. Uh, he, he returns accompanied by his friend Theseus of Athens, whom uh, he has released from bondage in the underworld. Uh, long story, but uh, he, when he comes back, when he gets back to Thebes, in his absence, the wicked tyrant Lycus has murdered King Creon and usurped the throne of Thebes. Uh, and for good measure, is attempting to marry Hercules's wife, Megaira. Uh, this, of course, is, she's styled Meg in the Disney version. Uh, and the plan of Lycus is to bolster his position. He's rather low-born as Lycus, and so he wants to marry an aristocratic wife, and, and Megaira seems like a, a likely candidate. All right, uh, so when Hercules does return and he realizes what's going on, he goes off and avenges these wrongs by murdering Lycus. However, Juno... Uh, ever hostile to Hercules as one of the products of her husband's illicit affairs, uh, drives Hercules mad and causes him to murder his own wife and children with his bow and arrow. Uh, Hercules then falls into a deep sleep, and when he awakes in his right mind again, he sees what he has done and proposes to kill himself. But in the end of the play, he's finally persuaded to seek purification instead. Right, so that's the, that's the basic plot of the play. The play is just a horrific study in extreme mental derangement. Uh, not, not just Hercules' madness and his agonizing remorse after he realizes what he's done, um, but also the anger of Juno. And this is how the play opens. The, play open, the very first scene of the play is Juno just enraged. And she has this monologue that I'll read for you, uh, uh, at least start reading for you now. And uh, in, she, in this, she begins by cataloging the reasons for her resentment at all of Jupiter's affairs and um, her hatred of Hercules. Her basic argument is that Hercules presents a direct threat to her and to Jupiter's reign in heaven. Um, right, so... The, the, her idea is that after conquering the underworld, Hercules is a short step. He's going to conquer the upper world and dethrone the Olympians. Uh, and her main sort of dilemma is how to respond. You know, what can she do to defeat Hercules? Uh, he's already defeated every monster she sent at him at this point, right? He's, he's completed every labor. He, she can't imagine anything that would, you know, the Hydra didn't work. And like, well, what's, what's she going to do? Uh, even the most arduous things she can think up, he's already conquered. So she comes to the conclusion that the only solution is to turn Hercules against himself. Right, so the first section here focuses on the feelings of uh, the wife jilted by her husband for mistresses of lower status. And the, the word pilex recurs. This, is a, this means concubine or kept mistress. And in Juno's mouth, it's just a the slur just enrages her, okay? So Seneca uh, refers to several, has Juno refer to several such women 
uh, whom Jupiter either seduced or raped. It's sometimes not really clear what, how, what. And if you know these stories, you know how ambiguous that can be. Uh, it, uh, the key point, though, is that all of these um, women became constellations. The one that she, the ones that she mentions, became constellations. She refers to Callisto, who um, became the constellation the Big Dipper or Arctos. That's the term she uses. Uh, Europa, the girl from Tyre who rode Jupiter in bull form from Crete, and uh, the daughters of Atlas or the the Atlantides, she calls them, or the Pleiades, as they're often known. Um, Jupiter, this is a collection of stars and, and you know, as a group, uh, Jupiter engendered children with no fewer than three of them, Maya, Electra, and Tau Gete. These are the daughters of Atlas. All right, so you have to imagine the scene here. It's night and Juno is is pointing at the sky saying, look at that, that's another one. She points out uh, not just these these uh, women, these pilikes, but some mortals who have been divinized by being raised to the stars, such uh, as Hercules will be, of course. So Orion, uh, Castor and Pollux, Ariadne, and Perseus, who of course is another child of uh, of Jupiter, an immortal woman, and and you know Juno refers to herself as a stepmother, Noerka, which is <laughs> kind of a uh, you know, has a has a negative flavor in Latin, um, and uh, stepmothers, of course, have a bad reputation in many cultures. And she's like, "Oh, look at me! I'm like, now I'm just a stepmother. It's awful." All of this, these mortal heroes who get raised to the stars as well, like Perseus and Castor and Pollux, you know, from Jupiter's adulteries, all this just strengthens her argument that Hercules is a threat, and that she's essentially she essentially vows at the end, "Not on my watch." I want you to listen for the signs of her intense anger. She starts out, she uses these terms like solum, only, semper, always. You know, when you're angry, you, you fighting with somebody, you always say, you always do that. You never, this is all I, you know. It, that, those kind of emphatic uh, exclusionary terms, uh, exclusive terms are, are, are a sign of her anger. Listen also for the repetition of hink and illink. This, these are the words where she's pointing at the stars, like over there, look at that, over there, and another one over there. Uh, there's a sense of climax engendered by this catalog of outrages, yeah? Uh, and Seneca just beautifully kind of proportions it. So each constellation gets two lines, and then the climax of the list is Ariadne, who gets three, all right? But then she turns to Thebes and Alcmene, the mother of Hercules, and they get nine lines. And then it's capped off by the, the outraged vow of eternal war against them without any possibility of quarter. Yeah, so this is a, this is a terrific passage. All right, so here it is in, here it is in English. Uh, she says, I, sister of the thunderer, for this is the only name left to me, that is sister, <laughs> this is the only name left to me, have abandoned the constantly hostile Jupiter, Semper, you know, always hostile Jupiter, and the empty regions of the highest heaven, and kicked out, have given my place in the sky to concubines. I must live on earth, since concubines possess the sky. On one side, a lofty constellation drives Greek fleets. Arctos is a high part of the icy firmament. On the other side, 
where the day relaxes in the fresh spring, shines the bull who carried Tyrian Europa across the waves. On another side stands the daughters of Atlas, wandering all over the place. They show a crowd feared by sea and ships. This, uh, this is the constellation that is uh, portends bad news to mariners. So Seneca's adding in a little bit of sort of star lore as he goes. On this side, threatening Orion terrifies the gods with his sword, and golden Perseus possesses his own stars. On another side, the twin sons of Tyndarius, this is Castor and Pollux, shine as clear signs or constellations, uh, and those for whom the mobile earth stood still when they were born. This is um, Apollo and Diana, uh, the, the children of Leto and, and, and Jupiter. Not only has Bacchus and the mother of Bacchus arrived among the gods, but lest any part of the heavens lack a disgrace, the world bears the garland of the Cretan girl. This is Ariadne. But I am complaining too late about matters long past. How many times has the single land of Thebes dreadful and savage, sprinkled liberally with impious mothers, made me a stepmother. Is it to be permitted, she, there's a reference here to Semele probably and other Theban women uh, who had children with Jupiter. So Thebes is particularly bad, right? Uh, is it to be permitted that Alcmene, victorious, ascend and usurp my place, and at the same time, her son occupy the stars that were promised to him, at whose arrival the world lost a day, and Phoebus shone late over the eastern sea, ordered to restrain its radiance submerged in the ocean. My wrath will not pass away so easily. My violent spirit will keep hate alive, and savage grief will wage war with no possibility of truce. Okay, here's the Latin for those lines, and it's um, the meter here is uh, iambic trimeter, so it's sort of a bouncing um, meter, very typical for uh, um, opening passages and sort of narrative passages in tragedy. Soror tonantis hoc enim solum mihi nomen relictest, semper alienum joem, ac templa summi vidua deserveteris, locum quecailo pulsa pailicibus dedi. Tellus colendest, pailices caelum tenent. Hinc actos alta parte glacialis poli, sublime classes sidus argolicas agit. Hinc, qua recenti vere laxatur dies, turiae per undas vector Europae nitet. Ilinc timendum ratibus ac ponto gregem passim vagantes exerunt Atlantides. Ferro minax hinc terret orion deos, suasque Persius aureus stellas habet. Hinc clara gemini signa tundaridae micant, quibus quenatis mobilis tellus detit. Ecipse tantum bacchus, aut bacchi parens, adiere superos, ne qua pars probro vacet, mundus puellae certa cnosiacae gerit. 
said Seoro Querimur. Una me dirac ferra tebana tellus, matribus spars impiis, quotiens no vercam fecit. E scendat licet, meumque victrix teneat alcmene locum, pariterque datus astra promis occupet. In quius ortus, mundus impedit diem, tardus que o foibus effulsit mari, Retinere mersum iussus oceano iubar. Non sic abibunt odia. Viva cesaget, violentus iras animus, et saius dolor. Aeterna bella pace sublata geret. Okay, wow. Oh, an amazing passage. Uh, the What strikes me about it is the amazing way Seneca has of packing in mythological reference, right? There's probably, I don't know, at least a dozen stories that are alluded to there that you're supposed to know. And he kind of packs almost the whole world of Greek mythology in this very short passage. And yet it still moves. It, it never feels like, oh, he's just cataloging stuff or mentioning another myth and telling another story it's just it's it drives and it it is alive and red hot with rage and um it's sort of rhetorical verve combined with its deep mythological reference i think is is really just a tribute to seneca's genius uh hope you enjoyed that please come back i'm hoping to do the entire play uh, piece by piece over time and uh thanks for listening and i'll see you next time bye bye mm-hmm.